Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A week or two passed before the day Pat would arrest Joe. Legally, there were some loose ends that needed to be tied up to make sure everything went to plan during the charge. Pat wasn't particularly nervous, or even excited. Just getting to this point had drained him significantly. But the thought of being able to deliver the Cali some form of solace helped him get through those long and frustrating days. On the 20th of October, 2006, around midday, Pat drove out to Joe's mother's house in Dunlear. And I went up, I knocked on the door, and there was a team of us there. And his mother answered the door, and I said, you know me? And she says, I do. I says, is he here? And she said, he's in the kitchen there. Pat walked into the kitchen, like he'd done many times before during the investigation. Joe was standing there, in his bare feet, not particularly alarmed to see Pat once more. And I said, how are you doing, Joe? I put my hand on his shoulder. And I said, Joe, I'm now arresting you for the murder of Rachel O'Reilly. The atmosphere in the room darkened. And Joe and his family froze with shock. And he just kept looking at me. Now, I've heard the expression, like people saying that the blood drained from their face. This actually happened. I could see Joe turning pale from the forehead down, right down. He just turned totally pale. He got a fright and he said to me, can I put on me runners? I said, of course you can. And he put on his runners and he never spoke another word for me from then on, ever. The Making of a Detective is brought to you by The Irish Sun. I mean Doyle. This will be our last episode, focusing on the life and death of Rachel Callaly, before moving on to an earlier case in Pat Murray's career. We are still a long way from finishing this story, and Pat still has a lot more work to do. For now, though, let's head back to the moment things turned for Joe O'Reilly. I think there was a few old comments. He said, listen, he didn't do anything. And do you know what I mean? He's not at all wrong. And the usual old crack you get now from families and stuff like and that, you know, I had it before. You just, you know, that's it. They're upset and they're shouting. And 
we'll get you Slister Joe and all this, that, that type of carry on, you know. I don't suppose there should ever be delight in a case like this, but there is little victories along the way, you know, and as time goes on, you know, it went on for a long time. Um, like they brought him in once, maybe twice. I had to release him and stuff. I figured the day he was charged, like, I know you shouldn't be, but it was. I was absolutely delighted. Now, it was like winning the lotto, really, just knowing that you're going to get him into a courtroom, you know. Pat's work was far from over. In many ways, it had only just begun. You see, for Pat and many other guards in the force, their work on the ground, conducting interviews, following up leads, that's the enjoyable aspect of being a detective. When things eventually go to trial, though, there's a mountain of admin that has to be carried out before the court date approaches. No, you're never finished. What people don't understand and what the public don't understand, uh, like they don't realise that, you know, okay, you get a charge and you're really great, that's fine, it's going to court. There's a whole aspect of disclosure has to be handed over to the defence. The defence are entitled to everything that you've done in the investigation, all the paperwork, statements, even statements that are of no relevance, they are entitled to everything. Uh, CCTV, everything. All the phone records from people that, you know, we thought may have had an interest, that weren't, they have to get everything. And we have to disclose that and it has to be put into a file format for them. And that can take quite a lot of time, you know. So it's just a horrendous amount of work, like, you know. In the months leading up to the trial, the background work continued and both sides were lining up their case. Joe was being represented by Patrick Gagsby, an experienced senior counsel with an expertise in criminal law. All relevant documents were handed over, but during this time, it was important for Pat and the prosecution to think about what Joe's defence might be. One of the aspects of being a detective, you have to be thinking all the time. And it was very evident to me that the media attention may be a reason why Joe O'Reilly could maybe look for the case to be put back for another year or two or that he can't get a fair trial. Pat and a colleague tried to compile every piece of press that had been written on the case since Rachel's murder. Hundreds of documents from publications all across Ireland. And we put it in an Excel format and we put down the name of the paper, the date, the photographer, the journalist, the article, and then where it was generated from. In all fairness to the journalists, they tell you, look, we have our sources and we're not going to tell you where we got that from or this, that. And fine, I understand that totally and I have no issue with that whatsoever. But we did go to a number of journalists and they said, yeah, look, what I'll tell you, uh, I got a phone call from Joe Riley, and he gave me this and I wrote the article on it and that was it. So we were able to determine without a shadow of a doubt that 30% of the media coverage on the Joe Riley case from the date it happened up until the near the trial was generated by Joe Riley himself. This was an example of Pat Murray's brilliance as a detective. His mind never switches off, even for a moment. Because this information would ultimately be disclosed to Joe's defence team, he knew there would be very little risk of them pushing the narrative of an unfair trial due to the media circus surrounding it. I think that was a good foresight by the investigation to cut Joe off the pass and in respect of that element, you know. And it was never an issue.
As usual, the case took quite a while to come to trial. At 10.30am on the 18th of June 2007, Joe stood in the Central Criminal Court for the first time. A moment that some of the Cowley family never thought would happen. Judge Barry White asked him how he would plead. Not guilty, he said earnestly. A full trial would commence, with witnesses and evidence all being displayed in front of a jury of 12 members. The trial was long for Irish standards, five weeks in total, and the media attention surrounding it was unlike anything ever seen previously before the Irish courts. Paul and the rest of the Callies were nervous, but they felt confident going into the opening days. Now I didn't know anything about the evidence, but just to get him, it's nearly just to take that smirk off his face, you know, I, I'm not so sure he ever thought they'd get him that far. You know, I really do think he, he thought he'd never get charged, you know, but for us, like for me, whatever about me man, Dan, the, the lads and stuff, for me it was just pure delight that finally, you know, we'll have our day and let's just hope. The court was full to capacity when the opening statements were being read out on the trial's opening day. Dennis Von Buckley, senior counsel for the prosecution, addressed the jurors. Much of the evidence in this case is circumstantial, but it is the state's case that when it is heard in its entirety, the evidence would prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Mr. O'Reilly did kill his wife. There may be a combination of circumstances, not one of which on their own may raise a reasonable doubt, but taken together can reach a conclusion of guilt. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The prosecution had their plan of action in place, and it was to paint a clear picture of what happened by using all pieces of evidence Pat had gathered in the previous three years. They showed the vile emails degrading Rachel. They picked apart Joe and Nikki Pelly's messages to each other. They got testaments from Paul, his wife Denise, and Rachel's parents about the tour and other aspects of Joe's wild behaviour. These, and hundreds of other pieces of evidence, would hopefully paint a picture of truth and put Joe behind bars for a long time. Of course, it wasn't going to be that easy. The defence were keen to push back and try and sow some doubt into the jurors' minds. There was blood found on the washing machine in the utility. That was not Joe O'Reilly's blood, was not Rachel's blood, but we discovered it was Rachel's natural brother. Her brother uh, said he'd fix her um, decking. And he was up front with it in the whole works and he said, yeah, he said, uh, uh, like he told us, I was working out there, I was putting spindles on and one of them broke and he cut his arm or something. And he went into the utility and he obviously brushed off the washing machine before he washed it down or that like. Following up, Pat was able to find the spindle in which he had grazed his arm. The defence went at him to make him look as if he had murdered Rachel. But it was quite well defended. We had uh, Mr Vaughan Buckley was the prosecution barrister and he was quite solid about all of that. So it didn't wash. It didn't wash really like, you know, but... um, that was their defence, and the other thing is that it was circumstantial. <sighs> but circumstances and circumstances very strong, and you won't get anything more stronger than the cell site analysis and how it was represented to the court and how it was done on a chart and how it was explained to the jury. I couldn't understand how signals bounce one side of a mast or the other side or east or west. Um, so it was really the day they brought this fella in, whether it was Vodafone or O2, I think it was O2, and he was um, French. And um, he just made it very simple, you know, because he didn't have the world's greatest English. So everything he said was very definite and very short and very to the point, you know. The data from the cell phone masts were displayed to the whole courtroom on a screen. And when you see Joe's phone moving from where he was all through Dublin City, out to the Nile, coming back, it just, it was like magic or something, just the way they were able to do that and bouncing off masks and, you know, and I remember they, they, they quizzed him, the, the French lad, the defence crowd, you know, trying to quiz him to pick holes in his case and, and like he just stood up. Absolutely not. And your man, Patrick Gaysbury, he just sat back down. Like He couldn't kind of argue. His English wasn't good enough to argue with him. But he was just genius in what he did. Like Long before the trial happened, the prosecution knew the cell site data would be their most important piece of evidence. They needed to get this right. 
This was the only thing that could really pin Joe at the scene of the crime on October 4th. When you saw that map, you knew in 20 minutes your sister was going to be murdered. You know, you could see him coming out. It's like a film. You could just see the car coming all the way out. And then not moving. And then off it goes again. Like it was, it was, it's eerie kind of, but at the time it was, it was the best thing I've ever seen. Just the way they did it was just so plain, like a blind man could nearly see it. Like it was that good, like, and it was simple. You know, I'm sure they were talking slight techno stuff and all, but just for the layman, you just looked at it and you went, you can't argue with it. So there's no doubt about it that Joe had that phone. And the question is always asked, if Joe hadn't got that phone today, would you have got a charge on him? Uh, possibly not. If Joe had snuck it into Derek Querney's car or something like that and said nothing, or if he had left it in Viacom in, in Bluebell Industrial Estate and turned it off or whatever, I doubt very much we would have had enough evidence to convict him. Stephen Breen is crime editor with The Irish Sun. I remember speaking to the family about the court case and they were talking to me about how draining it was but how important it was for them to be there for Rachel you know, so, so that they could give her a voice and um, it was just a, I think a court case that did you know, have huge interest across the whole country people from all backgrounds, all ages were interested in this case After five weeks of grueling testimony and cross-examination the juries went away to deliver their verdict I haven't really got a clue of the perception the jurors would have of everything they see and stuff. And you'd be just sitting looking at the, the 11 or 12 of them and they're just normal people. Um, and I kind of did think to myself, like, it was a long enough trial. Like, it went on for a few weeks and stuff. And you're kind of going, Jesus, like, they remember the stuff at the start when they're thinking of the, the verdict and all. Like, you just don't know. You really don't know. And, the, you know, I, I went through a few of them and I said, you know, you'd be sort of hoping that the girls are whatever, but you don't know where their backgrounds are or family backgrounds. So absolutely very, very nervous going back into the, the, the court that day. That day in question was Saturday, July 21st, 2007. Both Pat and Paul's recollection of it is as clear today as it was then there's not much you can do when you're waiting on a jury you're just basically standing around sitting around like you're not in the court you're outside um and i know a few of us like a few of the guards there must have been six or seven of them there at that stage um and pat and peter said you're gonna go for the point so we went for the point and we went over to the wigan gown and we were sitting there and just the points had arrived and someone ran into the pub and said, the jury are back, the jury are coming back, you know. So we all had to leave. <laughs> you know, I can still see that point again. We all had to leave anyway, and uh, we're all going back to the court. And I said, oh, God, I, I want to go to the toilet before I go in here. So I went to the toilet, came back, and I said, I'm going to miss this now. And, like, Jay's the courtroom was packed. Oh, my God, it was packed. 
When it comes to the actual day when the jury are discharged, there is a lot of tension within the court. On the one hand, you have the relatives, the friends of the victim in this case, who uh, are ultimately in court for the victim, the person who's lost their life. You also have a huge guard of presence there as well, eagerly waiting to see the outcome of the judicial process. You also have relatives of the accused within the court too, so it can be quite tense. It was jammed, the court, and outside there were five or six deep back from the front door and I had to work my way through, pushing people out of the way like and try to get in. And once I got in, it was so packed inside, I got up to the front of the crowd which was nearly adjacent to Joe's in the box, like, you know. And I was standing there and the seated guards were just all across me. And the jury came out and uh, it takes a format. The clerk asked them, have you reached a verdict? And they say, yeah, is it unanimous? Yeah. And how do you find the, the, the accused? Joe O'Reilly was found guilty on all counts. Oh, good Jesus. Like, we all just roared. I remember the whole joke just roared. Um, yes, kind of. You know, everyone was just shouting yes. And, um, like, Jesus, was tears, everything. Like, I never witnessed anything like it before, and I never will. The burst of emotion from the family and the people there. People roaring and shouting and putting their hands in there, jumping up. And I remember Barry White was the judge, and he was trying to quiet quiet and Pat and Mary you gotta love them was in tears and I looked at all the guards across and they were all crying every one of them all the people involved in the case they were shitting and they were all bursting crying and I remember Rose Callaly came up and gave me a big hug and I started crying as well and it was a huge release of emotion and of, of you know that you've worked so hard and it's it's now finalised like we're the family or whatever but like especially say for Pat and the lads like they've worked and worked for years on this years you know and the relief for them even that now it's kind of a vindication that they're doing stuff right you know they didn't make the mistakes that you know could be made there's no more hanging on you know maybes or ifs or ands it was definitive now he's found guilty and that's it you know Judge Barry White sentenced Joe to life for Rachel's murder and he was taken to Mount Joy to begin his prison sentence. Fourteen years later, Joe is now in Wheatfield Prison in Dublin. His inmate number is 42807 and he lives a reasonably quiet life behind bars. He and Nikki Pelly remain in a relationship together until 2017, although she has made visits to him in the years since their breakup. Joe has never admitted guilt for what happened in the Nall 17 years ago. He'll never admit his guilt. He's never shown remorse, even though he has two children uh, with his wife. He's been convicted in a court of law, a jury. The evidence was stacked against him. He has gone through every court procedure that available to him in the hope that he could be released, especially through the, the appeals court. And he's had a lot of time in prison to reflect on what happened. He still maintains that he didn't do this despite the evidence. So he's never shown any remorse, no apologies. And I don't think he will ever do that because it's gone too far now where since his conviction, 14 years you know, in prison, you know, what is going to change in the next year or two? You know, it doesn't suit his agenda 
and I, I think it's because he still wants to maintain this myth of the perfect crime where he didn't do it and he's innocent and he shouldn't be in prison. In Ireland until quite recently, after seven years in prison, an inmate can appeal their conviction and go up against the parole board once every two years. The law has now changed where inmates serving a life sentence will have to serve 12 years before they can go up for parole. In 2020, the Irish Sun launched the Time to Act campaign and the aim of that campaign was to put pressure on the government to implement the 2019 Parole Act. It was a very important piece of legislation. That's why the families that we spoke to were very insistent that the campaign focuses on the need of the government to speed up the process of implementing the parole bill which had been passed. Finally, that was implemented when the Justice Minister, Helen McEntee, confirmed that the parole bill would be up and running by the summer of 2021. And that was the case. And it was definitely seen as a victory for the victims and something that we played a part in by highlighting the needs and the concerns of victims' families. Since 2014, the Cowley family have had to go through further trauma every two years, not knowing whether Joe O'Reilly will be released and in a worst-case scenario, potentially come face-to-face with the family again. There's no good will ever come from releasing Joe O'Reilly from prison. There's no good will ever come. And the only fear I would have is, and the experts may say differently, but the only fear I is, if someone can plan to kill the mother of their children so coldly, not give a shit, he just, he, he planned this thing for months, carried it out, lived his life afterwards for two or three years, not a bother on him. And for someone to tell me that there is good in that man, I'll never believe it. He's just pure evil, Joe is. There's no redeeming feature with him. He's never shown any remorse. He's never even given the inkling that he didn't mean it, that something got out of hand, that he was caught having an affair, nothing. Paul has spent much of his time campaigning for SAVE, the Sentencing and Victim Equality Action Group. They believe Ireland's parole system should take a more victim-centred approach and were one of the main campaigners behind the change to 12 years. For Paul, time has been a healer in some regards. The Callaly family were sadly hit with further tragedy in 2010 as Paul and Rachel's sister, Anne, passed away from cancer at the age of 31. Another unspeakable blow for a family who had already been through hell and back. For him, it's important to keep their names in daily conversation. But he does know that Joe's name will always sadly be attached to that of his family's. The association is going to be there to the day I die, I'd imagine. Um, but as a, as a person, as a father now, in, in my house, um, Auntie Rachel and Auntie Anne, God love my other sister died as well, but the two of them are just brought up. My kids actually don't know what happened to Rachel, if I haven't told them. Um, and they're just brought up as their two aunties who are in heaven. So, and in that way, and it's only for short little periods in a day or whatever, but you know, one of the kids did something. My little fella now would remind me a lot of her. He's 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 full of beans, and if he did something, that I could revert. I said, "Jesus, your auntie Rach used to do that, or whatever." And you'd just be using her name in total normal ways. Um, outside of the house, there's not a whole lot you can do. You, you are kind of half known as 
one of their family, you know, and you know that there's nothing much you can do with that. And to me, when I hear his name, I, it's not that I don't associate rage with him, but like I just, if, if we're talking about Joe Riley, it's all evil, it's all negative. There's nothing good in my head about him. Pat's work in this case was some of his finest during his three decades working in Angarda Shiakana. Just as Joe's name will always have an attachment to the Callaly family, Pat's will too, but as someone who was there to help them, during the darkest moments of their lives. We return to the letter he read out, weeks after his retirement in 2018. Peter, yourself and all the lads who worked on Rachel's case will always be remembered with so much gratitude by all of our family. Words do not come easy to describe how hard everyone involved worked. It just blew us away, Pat. Then, when Anne died, God love her, I just could not believe how good you were to us in every way. We did not expect it, and we will never forget you for it. Pat, you have touched so many hearts as I know you have worked with many victims' families through the years and I am so proud to have met you. You're one of the very good ones, Pat, and I and our two angels will always pray that life will treat you as you deserve with love and thanks. Rose, Jim and the lads. Next time on The Making of a Detective. I remember my superintendent ringing me, he says, that flute's after going missing. I think his car is after being found up at the Hill of Hoat, he says, so you, you might go up and have a look. The Making of a Detective, The Cases of Pat Murray was brought to you by The Irish Sun. This series is hosted and produced by me, Ian Doyle, and this was the last episode on the murder of Rachel Callaly by her husband, Joe O'Reilly. Next week, we'll be going back in time and visiting a thrilling case that launched Pat's career into becoming one of Ireland's greatest detectives. The story starts out in Balbriggan in March 2001 and leads Pat on a trail of deceit to the Spanish island of Mallorca. If you or a loved one has been affected by the issues discussed in this series so far, reach out to SAVE, the Sentencing and Victim Equality Action Group. For more information on the life and career of Pat Murray, check out his 2019 book, The Making of a Detective, by Penguin Books. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.